Hey. Hi. God, look at this wonderful turnout. You people must love poetry, is that right? Yes. Oh. Well, I've got uh, a list of thank yous that I want to run through first, but before we go anywhere, I uh, just want to thank George Drake. Where's George? I thought I just saw him. There's George Drake. He's the one who started this whole thing, the whole, the whole Boynton phenomenon. Um, George, would you stand up and turn and face the audience so they know who you are? George was also, by the way, uh, um, a key figure, maybe the key figure behind the Big Rock Sculpture Garden. Is that right, George? Yes. Where, where we just had poetry on uh, Mother's Day and art and sculpture and a beautiful day. Well, I want to run through some, some gratitude uh, here because there's so much to be thankful for. Oh, I'm Jim Bertolino, by the way, and I'll continue to be part of the program this evening in case I get in trouble. Um, we want to thank especially uh, the, the donors and, and like the Boynton, the Boynton Committee, the Boynton Phenomenon, can use more donations, you know. Don't, don't hesitate if, the, if you're moved. Um, but we want to thank the generous donors, Angela Belcaster, uh, someone named Anonymous, uh, the very Boynton family, uh, the grandson Solon and wife Sharon Boynton, Jerry and Beth Brownfield, Jennifer Lee Cottrell. Is Jenny here today? Just saw her last night. Um, she's always busy. Kat and Ed Devaney. Um, Sandra Dutton. Susan J. Erickson. Mary Elizabeth Gilliland. Norman Green. Elizabeth Kerwin. J.I. Judy Kleinberg. David M. Laws. Paul Little. Timothy Lucy. Brenda Miller. Sheila Nickerson, Dr. and Mrs. L. Tim Nielsen, grandson of Son Boyton, John Orvik, Judith Orvik, Chuck and D. Robinson, Kimberly Rowe, Ellie Rogers, Colleen Schwartz, Andrew Shattuck McBride, Sheila Sondick and Paul Sarvesey, Denise Weeks and the Watcom Educational Credit Union, Thank you all for donating resources. And there are additional people who have been very key and helpful in this uh, program. Uh, Rachel Ballard, Bruce Beasley, Jim Bertolino, um, the Bellingham Cruise Terminal, the Bellingham Public Library, BTV10 and Dal Neitzel, Birchwood Garden Club, Nancy Canyon, Chow Time, Community Food Co-op, Egress Studio, Kathleen Flanagan, Casey Fuller, Mary Gilliland, Great Harvest Bread, Judy Kleinberg, David Laws, Rachel Mill, Brenda Miller, Mindport Exhibits, Boris Schleinkoffer, Sheila Sondick. Starbucks, Threshold Documents, Village Books. I'm trying to get you to weep with the uh, intonation. Um, Kerry, Wardrop, Whatcom County Library System, Whatcom Poetry Series, Whatcom Transportation Authority, teachers, students, and poets throughout Whatcom County, and our Tireless Contest Committee. Norman Green, Wendy McLeod, Ellie Rogers, they are all co-chairs. Sandra Dutton, Susan Erickson, Carrie Galbraith, Tim Lucy, Rachel Mel, Joan Packer, and Kim Rowe. Let's clap for all of these people. 
And you should be aware that the Susie Boynton Poetry Contest is a program of the Whatcom Poetry Series, which is a nonprofit, a 501c3 federally recognized nonprofit organization. So any donations are tax deductible. So the bigger, the better. Yes, Iris. Iris, that's a nice way to call the Iris. The Iris. I like that. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and also, um, there's a quote here by Eric Reese. Poetry is the ultimate language of belonging. That's right, isn't it? Especially beat poetry. Just kidding. And um, on the two tables back there, you will find a display of the poetry, uh, the Boynton placards. And we also, you will find, and these are the placards that uh, Anita Boyle uh, at Egress Studio designed and printed. And and these are on, on lightweight paper, but, but there's going to be a printing of them on laminated board, cardboard, and they will be mounted on the WTA buses for the year and also move around through the public library system. So I think, you know, the poetry will make its way around. In the, in the back on the table, we have two things, at least two things of value. We've got the, the five-year retrospective anthology of the Boynton Poetry Contest. And then we have the chapbook for this very year with the poems from this year. So you've got publications there that you can take home with you and share with your mom. And, yeah, and we got to thank Boris. Anybody that you, when you start milling around, mingling, having food and stuff, stop and thank Boris. He's doing the sound. Isn't that right, Boris? <laughs> well, I've got to ask you all to please put your cell phones on mute if you don't want people yelling at you. You mute your cell phones, but you all know that. Um, I Isn't there a sound app you can get for your cell phone that sounds like a baby crying? <laughs> <laughs> I just think that'd be cool. Um, Anyway, here's the uh, the the uh, formula for the program this evening. Of course, we're all here to celebrate the winners of the eighth annual Susie Boynton Poetry Contest, um, and uh, both uh, Jan uh, Jan Boyce Boynton, is that right? And her sister Emma, cousin Emma are both here today, and I'm really thrilled that, that you came from New York? Wow. And um, that's really wonderful. And I would like, in a couple minutes, to try to press on them to come up and say a few words. Um, anyway, um, each winning poet, the formula for the evening, each winning poet will be invited to come to the podium, podium and to read their poem. And if they're not present, um, if they don't come to the floor, to the podium, we will assume that maybe they're not present. And then we will have one of our judges or even myself uh, read the, the given poem. And there may be a couple of opportunities where somebody from the family or a friend would read the poem for someone else. Anyway, whatever works is fine with us. Is the sound okay? Okay. Does it make me sound younger? Um, and right, and I mentioned about the buses, and I should also mention that not only did my wife Anita Boyle design uh, placards back there, her brilliant daughter Angela, who's an artist and engineer, I might add, in Seattle, um, also did some of the drawings 
for them. And so it's been a family project and very satisfying. Um, is Angela here? Could you stand up, Angela? There she is. <laughs> Angela Boyle. Thank you. Um, and uh, you know that uh, the, uh, the placard poems will be um, posted around, around the, the library system and on the buses. I mentioned that. But also the walk award poems will be mounted on the, what's the term, stanchions? No. Huh? Plinth. The plinths. Excuse me. I always spit when I say that. But, um, the plinths uh, around the public library, there are these metal uh, uh, holders and the poems will be attached, right? Plinths. I like that. <laughs> Um, but you've got a speech impediment. How would I say it? <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, and then that's all good. So next on my list will be to identify our judges. Um, but first, uh, Jan Crook Pearson. Uh, who is known as Calamity Jan to her fans, is herself a prolific mystery writer and Western history buff. Her four ghost owners books are part of a history mystery series for middle grade readers with a story based on a well-known legend of Bodie, California. The Susie Boynton Poetry Contest, named for Jan's grandmother, is extremely grateful for the continued support of Jan and the many members of the extended Boynton family. And would you and Sister Emma like to come up? Cousin. Uh, cousin. Yeah. Somebody's been saying sister in my ear. No. Come on up. Come on up. Thank you so much. And always thank you, George Drake. Because of you, a young professor visiting my grandmother in her 90s here in Bellingham, uh, this has happened. My grandmother, always a lover of literature and a literary poet, is would completely be thrilled about what's happening and why you're here tonight. And I'm thrilled. And my this is my cousin, Marie Boynton, a.k.a. Kelly Wells from New York City. She's flown in just for this. So instead of t two minutes, <laughs> I usually do the honors. I'm going to shut up. I have just released two books, so now I have written. we got to get an update on my bio, 11 books to date. And so, <laughs> so... But I'm here to honor you, and we all are, and my grandmother and our family are thrilled because you entered a contest, or you're the family and supporters of someone who did. And so tonight I'd like to say a little more about my cousin, who will speak a little bit, oh, two minutes, remember that. <laughs> Kelly Wells uh, went to New York because she entered a contest, a Vogue contest, and, and she went on to continue her career. She became an editor of Cosmopolitan. She began, uh, became eventually a mass media consultant to the United Nations, and I could go on and on, but I won't, just to say that Susie Boynton has been spreading her gifts her love, her abilities, and her talents all over our country. But she's also really like a sister. So I'd like to just say uh, hello, Kelly Wells, cousin, and it's on you now. And then I'll say Grandma's poem at the very end. Is that still okay? Yes. All right. <laughs> hello, and it is indeed an honor for us to be here tonight in tribute to our Grandma Sue. And we thought we would try to communicate some sense of her as a person and as a grandmother. Of course, we knew her as a grandmother. And she was a special grandmother. 
she had definite ideas about family and definite ideas about values and communication. And when we gathered at the dinner table, we had conversation um, that was meaningful. That was, what do you think about this and what do you feel about this? Um, but I, I like the, the definition that Mr. Bertolini uh, quoted earlier about the essence of poetry being um, about um, what was that connection? Or do you remember the, that word, that one pro- belonging? Um, I think that if my grandmother had a gift, it was in the realm of parenting, and it was creating a sense of belonging among her family and a, a sense of listening. Because as I was sitting here uh, thinking about what did she really impart, and that's a hard question to answer at any time, um, but I would say it was uh, a gift of listening, and we all have our own gift of listening. But it is about being intimate with what falls between the cracks, with those aspects of our experience that might not be so easily understood or communicated. And that's the tapestry of life. Um, I am so eternally grateful uh, to her. And and in my own experience, it was, and very much is in the spiritual realm of things, she was um, a very devout Christian, and she had her walks with God, um, but she always invested her listening into her spirit, whether it was the part of her spirit that was celebrating the beauty of nature, or whether it was the part of her spirit that was wrestling with the challenges of understanding and perception, or being funny and um, perhaps irreverent. And I think George tells a wonderful story about a certain boldness that she had, and that was, I think, I think a powerful commitment to a sense of truth, which is really the greatest gift that any of us has, is our own sense of truth, which I believe the medium of poetry, more than any other, is capable of communicating. So um, I will say, as a grandma, of course, there were the family dinners, and there were the nights by the fireplace with popcorn and Pepsi, and Mm -hmm. there were, uh, in the summers, nights at the testimonial bonfires when we shared them at a church camp, and it was an opportunity to really open our souls in a trusted environment. And those experiences, uh, at the time, as a child or a teenager, you're just doing them. You don't have a particular judgment about them. But as your life unfolds, you understand what gift that gave to you. So I hope this experience of poetry, whether you have entered the contest and written the poetry this evening, whether you have a listening or an appreciation for poetry or you're new to poetry, that it will be with an openness that she would have so encouraged. Thank you. Special cousin, special grandma. She called her Guppy. I called her Grandma Sue. She's still part of our heart, and her life goes on. I share a poem every year because it's so important to me. It was a message of life and of being, which I hope to to give to you tonight. And some of the winners will perhaps be reading this poem later. But she wrote it when she was my age, 75 years old, and she was growing older and beginning to wonder. And the, the poem goes like this. This business of growing old bothered me once when I was 55, but now at three score years and ten plus five, all fears concerning age have gone, and I'm just glad to be alive to be alive and find upon the table of each new day a brimming cup, a challenge to go on. So I have stopped growing old, too busy 
growing up. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was wonderful. I would like now to introduce our two highly accomplished judges. And all of this, all of what's happening tonight does depend, of course, on the judges to choose the poems from the hundreds of poems that have been entered. And they are up there. Bruce Beasley, who is a professor of English at Western Washington University and has been for quite a number of years. He is personally the author of seven collections of poetry, most recently Theophobia, which means hatred of God, I think, or something, or fear, fear. Just fear, that's right. I, I feel the same way. Theophobia, that's from BOA Editions, sometimes known as BOA Editions. That's the New York Press, 2012. And The Corpse Flower, New and Selected Poems, which was published by the University of Washington Press in 2007. He won the Ohio State University Press Journal Award for the Creation, a volume of poems, the Colorado Prize, selected by Charles Wright, one of my favorite poets, for Summer Mystagogia. And the University of Georgia Press, Contemporary Poetry Series Award for Lord Brain. What a great title for a book of poetry, Lord Brain. Ooh. He has won fellowships from the National Endowment for the Arts and the Artist Trust and three Pushcart Prizes. His work appears in anthologies, including the Pushcart Book of Poetry, the best poems from the first 30 years of the Pushcart Prize, and the Yale Anthology of Devotional Poetry. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm asking these judges to take turns coming up. If, if there's any poet who is on our list for this evening who doesn't happen to be here, or would prefer not to come up and read. Some people get frightened, you know. I'll ask one of these splendid poets to come and read the poem. Um, and then Mary Elizabeth Gilliland organized the Independent Writers Studio in 2009 here in Bellingham, where she leads writers groups and edits Clover, a literary rag, which is a fantastic local magazine. I just, I'm in love with Clover. Every chance I get, I eat some. Um, she is a winner of an award of the state of Washington for her work on Echoes from the Past, which is a history of northern Whatcom County. Her novel, Tibet, a writer's journal, was published in 2007. As an undergraduate, she began a serious study of poetry, the love of which has shaped a pathway in her life. She writes poetry daily. Her current projects include a novel. Her recent publishing credits include Breath and Shadow and a chapbook published by the independent writer's studio called After Oz. Life After Oz. Mary and Bruce, look at them. But before we continue, I would very much like if our judges could come up and say just a few words maybe about the process and whether, you know, whether they'd ever want to do something like that again. <laughs> so can we start with you, Mary? Well, you know, when you look out and you see so many wonderful people this way and you look out and you see the beautiful water and the boats and it's just so Bellingham. Poetry, water, people, <laughs> it's great. And the fact that we have poetry in the buses and at the library uh, coming in and going out that we can read, what a wonderful thing to say about a community. And when I go places to tell people about Bellingham and mention that, they're, wow. And then I tell them about the Boytons and and there and and what has happened because of the Boynton influence in in our writing community and um, thank you 
thank you all very much. So um, about the process, we had a wonderful time, at least I did. Um, <laughs> we read the poem separately several times, uh, and then we made lists, and we met and uh, discussed, and and came to some decisions. And uh, it it was it was uh, with joy that to see the so many so many poems from children, and the and the uh, and and how the schools are uh, coming on board with uh, with their with their part in bringing poetry to us in the whole. So thank you all very much, and thank you, thank you, thank you for allowing me to be a judge. It's been a wonderful honor, and, and I've enjoyed it all. Thank you. Uh, I'm teaching a poetry class right now, and on the first day of class, I asked my students to write a metaphor to compare ordinary language to the language of poetry. I had no idea what they would come up with, and it was fascinating. And the one that is stuck most clearly in my mind is a student who said, ordinary language is like a dry cracker, and poetry is like a flavor-blasted goldfish. <laughs> um, I also had a wonderful time with judging, and thank you for um, allowing me to have this honor uh, to be a judge. Um, in reading through the poems, there were several hundred, and Mary and I read them separately without consulting each other. I read many of them. I read them at least three times each, and I read many of them aloud just to hear what they sounded like. I was looking for the flavor-blasted goldfish, the ones that just leapt off the page because of their language, their imagery, their originality, and their intensity of emotion. Um, Mary and I had a wonderful time talking together. We peeked out separately our favorite uh, poems, and many of the ones that you'll hear tonight were on both of our lists. The other ones, one or the other of us advocated for and talked the other one into with a lot of passion, which was re really fun. Um, and uh, I can't wait to hear all of these read, and I'm so excited that there's this process for celebrating poetry in Bellingham, uh, from school children to people um, in, in, in their 70s and 80s and 90s, and it's wonderful to see the diversity in the range, and uh, I can't wait to hear them all read tonight. Thank you. Top-notch judges. Yes. By the way, uh, uh, something that uh, Bruce just said about reading the poems aloud to himself, I... Uh, I really respect that, and that's been, I have to say, there's a, that's a process I've used myself, because I've done a lot of judging in the last uh, five years. I've been a poetry judge for the American Book Awards, and you know, I get this big stack of books sent to me, and what I do is uh, Anita and I have uh, five acres out in the county, and we have a couple of ponds, and we have a couple of benches out there. I will take a stack of four or five books out there with me, sit at the pond, and just read a few poems aloud from each book. You know, and after you've read a few poems aloud, it's very obvious which ones are just going to go on the cast-off pile and which ones you might want to consider a little further. And after you've taken a few piles out there, you have yourself a nice pile of contenders, you know? And then you read more. And then Anita and I read them aloud to each other. And it's... It's a process that is enhancing, I think, for us. And, and I think it, you know, helps one come to a good choice, ultimately. Well, let's get started, okay? Um, so I will call off the name of the poet, and I will read the title of the, of the poem. And then, if that poet is here, please come up to the front and share your poem via the microphone, or come up, at least come up and let me know whether or not you want to read, and if you would prefer not to, we will, we will take care of that honor. And also, if there are, like, sort of short winners, we do have a little stool back here, in which I'll put in place. So, all right. Our first winning poet in the Merit Awards category is Deborah Lutz, and her poem is The Beginning. Are you here? Wonderful.
each of the poets uh, not only uh, uh, get a nicely printed copy of their poem, they get a copy of the uh, Seuss Boynton story volume, which is a wonderful book. There you go, Deborah. Thank you. I try to imagine the first winds. Do they begin with a great howl, belly of a beast-like, or whisper, stirring first from flora and fauna, then feather, then further still, until they pushed the clouds from one side of the world to the other? And did the first sounds crawl a chorus line of bugs, warbling from the hollow throats of ancient aviators, slipping from the insides of bubble-breasted toads? The same sounds I hear while wandering by the lakeside or writing, sketching at the pond's embankment, where blades of grass are tiny swords, softer than metal, but louder than a thousand cymbals. When wind blows through them, they battle out a medley to match the water's crooning. And I wonder, are we still wild and ageless? Thank you. Um, our next uh, Merit Award winner in the list is Richard Whitaker, and I invite him to please come up and read his poem and take his certificate and head off with the Boynton book. Peonies. <coughs> Can you hear me? Peonies. Your peonies have opened their folded wings, whirls of white linen. There's no wind. Bees hover like fat battle stars. They totter in jerky spasms, suckle at the tip of stamens. They dive into the petals, butt at their slow explosions. The red swollen buds know the bees must not touch them. They'll open when it's time. It's July, and the sun, a dying monarch, burnishes each ember. Though it's cold and clouds enfold us, shadows almost glow inside white hutches. Thank you. Our next poet up is uh, an eighth grader. Uh, Basam Nahi Bulos, that a good pronunciation? Are you here? Good. Wonderful. Square Watermelon. Alone, quietly square on the ground neatly stacked by itself, genetically engineered and seemingly perfect, but still tastes the same. Sitting there like a die, ready to be eaten for delight, its shadow is two-dimensional and kind of belongs to this natural world, for everyone to enjoy in its even slices and modified simplicity. Thank you. Our next poet is Victoria Dorper, reading Great Blue. Not an eighth grader. Fish-eater, water-stalker, killer of moles and muskrats, eater of roots, feathered squawker, flapper of blue-gray silklet strands, curved head plumes, neck like a snake, flies up before me like a first kiss, compelling urge up wells to awkwardness, slipping to a sweet, soft, gliding grace. Wings touch the clouds, then dip away to the clay blue bowl of the lake. 
Our next poet is Margareta Zubler-Keller. Simile. As when a mist becomes a rain, it can begin to trickle, flow, and run fierce and wild, to roar, to fall in white abandon, or yet meander into traps with no outlet, to stagnate and brooding to sicken, to flow gently from pool to ocean, or dash against the unyielding. It drowns, gives life, taunts in mirage, in memory haunts, to freeze, to scull, to waste, to swim, to bathe, to taste, a salt tear, a salt sea, an ever larger mystery. Amidst a sea of faces holding still and peals of grief that sound like laughter, I hold my premise now and ever will, that love, in all its guises, is like water. The last two posters have come. Wonderful broadsides. Oh, I think that our next poet up is Jim Milstead. And uh, I dedicate this poem to my beloved muse, Anna Ryan. Collage. Vistas of Blue Bay. Leaden waters ruffled by wind. Soft curtains. Drenched collectibles. Torn remnants. White sail relaxation. Raw taste of hunger. Hand-carved gluttonies. Vast white mountains tinged with glow, Yells, curses. Gallery walks, bank slaloms, bounce checks, open mic anticipations, bone dry witticisms, sermonized imaginations, wetland pollution, official cadence of restrained ambivalence, tails wagging furiously, identity theft, neuroscience on tap. Thimbleberry delights, earthworm desiccations, hospice devotion, fault-lined inevitability, sandstone magnificence, kaleidoscopic uncertainty, ragtown of bleak streets, chilled conclusions, the echo of your voice. And Jim knows what he's talking about. Our next poet up is Andrew Shattuck McBride. Forgetfulness. Morning fog swaddles like forgetfulness as I walk through downtown streets toward the water, always the water. From the top of the bluff, visibility is low. Sailboats at anchor are ghostly, half-remembered. Noise from the graving dock and shipyard thrums the stillness. The overwater walkway arcs out through gauze of sea fog, is barely visible at its north end. On the water... Two golden eyes push toward shore. Their wakes create a large W. Why is the statue, Grace, gone? I've forgotten why I'm here, until I see a great blue heron on a rib of sandstone outcrop nearby. I put aside my discomfort over losing something, 
there's still time. Thank you. Our next poet is Marina Murphy. Are you here? I'm planted in the grass next to the one that I call brother. Hot sun on our dusty feet as we dig for worms and ants. My mother lounging in a lawn chair, fanning herself in the shade. A scream from a machine echoes in the near empty valley. And I stand up and I gaze at the train running by. The homeless wave at me from an empty car while I give a half-hearted wave back. I keep my distance as I watch it go. Thank you, Marina. Next up, we have Colleen Schwartz. Point Lobos. Serene, tall, plumage proud. The great egrets in China Cove pretend to ignore the fawning tourists and naturalists, pretend to care not one whit about their feathered cousins sharing the kelp bed. Elegant, still, floating effortlessly upon the moving village. These are the survivors, the older siblings who pecked their way to firstborn status, nudging younger chicks out of the fragile stick nest, insisting mom and dad feed them first. Yellow bill, long black legs, deceptive. I, a watchful middle child, peer closely from the trail above. Take careful notes, searching always for sanctuary. Our next poet is Joe Nolting. Lily of the Mohawks. I am no longer my own, St. Katerai Tekakwitha. Your Algonquin blood flows wild, yet when the white man's water splashes cold on your forehead, it changes everything. Even the river's direction pulls you from forests, lakes, past your ancestors who stir in their graves, reach out as the current pushes you farther from the center of your world, delivers you to the place where water does not flow. Every spoken word is a dry cough. Smallpox steals your brother and parents, scars your face, blurs sight, except for visions of a God who commands you to sleep on thorns, walk across coals, kneel in snow, embrace each new pain with ecstasy, ecstasy that eclipses all but the moment of death. When your scars dissolve, sight returns, you climb into the birch bark vessel that carries you to the wild white water. Pretty good stuff, right? Amazing poets. Next up, we have Tom uh, Villalobos. Oops. 
Thank you. Uh, this poem is about riding Whatcom Transit Authority bus number 331 and waiting for the same bus. Silas House, um, a noted Kentucky author and teacher, says that our words are everywhere, even in a grocery store cashier line, or, in this case, just waiting for a bus. Waiting. Seldom do we catch ourselves staring blankly out the window's passing scene. Our closed little community pays scant tribute to motion's deft harmonies with pauses for lights and traffic. It's always the same people at 9.06, traveling the same 10 minutes together in silent acknowledgement of our mutuality, moving through space, warm against our frosted panes, effortlessly traversing time's small corners. Buses teach patience. Our catechism takes place in quiet waiting at the stop. Where's the bus? Half whispered. Coming soon. More hope than certitude. We peer up the street, searching over the car roofs for any hint of the broad logo, announcing boldly in large letters, 331 downtown. Then our comfort words arrive on time. Right, each poet gets a copy of their poem, plus they get a nice, a beautiful, uh, well-signed certificate, well-designed, and the Sue Boynton story. And our next poet up is Kristen Smith, and I believe Kristen is not here, is that correct? And Bruce will read uh, for her. Kristen's poem is called Wanderer's Heart. The swirl of golden leaves in the wind, temples old as time, carvings blurred with the years, mountains where none have gone before, journeys with no end, no beginning, just the next bend in the road, the mystery of what lies ahead. Desert caravans, flutes of silver and cedar, drums of many tribes, to belong not to one, but to many. Welcome at the crossroads. Lonely campfires beneath a thousand trees. Pine, Madrona, Banyan, and Cypress. Constellations change with the language. Sun is always the same. No house for a home. Just the high peaks. Snow and rock and ice. Heathers and euphorbia. Some things stay the same. Thank you, Bruce. Next up, we have Maddie DeFriest, and uh, is Maddie here? Um, or wonderful. Okay. Such an unnoticed time, it passes through swiftly. A harsh wind shatters the golden leaves of a tree, and all the little pieces scatter on the frostbitten ground. I walk in quiet solitude through an orange and red canvas, wondering how it is possible that such a place can exist in an imperfect world. Thank you. 
Our next uh, poet is Timothy Pilgrim, who is out of town, I believe. And so Mary Gilliland will read his poem. Breathing snow. <laughs> All right, <that's> okay. <laughs> Breathing snow. You can do it a while. Air pockets remain locked around crystal ice crystals, but not forever, just long enough to replace the avalanche. Rolling over life, sweeping love downhill, leaving you flattened in white, no way to reach for sky. If your ears still hear, eyes are not frozen closed, hand trapped, near face can clear a bit of space, you may have sufficient time to listen for swish of metal probes slicing nearby, promising beams of light. If tempted to sleep, imagine a new lover finds you, scoops a place by your side, lies close. Together you breathe hope into deep snow. <laughs> 